Hi, my name's Paul. And my name is Rizzi. And you're listening to... No Garnish! Can you do the whole episode in that voice? I can try. (laughs) This week, well, yeah, do you want to do... You're saying this is a London cocktail, and I'm saying it's an Italian cocktail. Because it's an espresso martini this week, and you've made me an absolutely belter. It's a, it's a blinder of a cocktail. I think this is probably the best espresso martini I've ever made is it? for anyone. It's one of the best ones I've ever drunk. It's absolutely brilliant. Wow, thank you. But you're saying espresso martini is a London cocktail, but I'm saying because it's got an espresso in it, it's an Italian cocktail. Um, but where did it or- originate? London. Ah, so it is a London cocktail. Shall I, are we going straight so, into... So really, I should have gone... Did you say your name is Paul? My name's Paul. And my name is Reese. No, wait. Uh, on my... Oh, where, where's my cockney? My cockney voice can't come. My, my cockney. How do you do cockney? cockney. <laughs> Not like that. Cockney? <laughs> cockney? <laughs> I'm going a bit up north. <laughs> cockney? Uh, cockney? Definitely not like that. How do cockney speak? Come on, give me your cockney. Oh, I don't know, mate. Can't be asked. That's just your normal voice, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh, yeah. If I talk a little bit like Hugh Grant in The Gentleman, all right, Raymond... I want you to imagine a character, a dramatic character, like in a book or a play or a film, but not not digital, not on a memory stick, no. Analogue. Chemical process. Keep the grain in the picture, I say. Now, we're doing ratio 235 to 1. Anamorphic. Yeah, there we go. What about that? I can do the whole thing if you want. And he's like... No, it's just, right, just about the right amount, I think. <laughs> no more, he's No more monologue. <laughs> you know what, Flynn? You're very good at lapping up all the theory, but when it comes down to a point of action, you're like a little nun. I feel like I've entered a parallel universe this evening. Why? I don't know who I'm talking to. I've been, do you know I've been watching this week Netflix thing about the serial killer who had 24 personalities. Oh, right, And I right. feel like that's who I'm in the studio <laughs> with this evening. Oh, really? Well, because I keep on bouncing yeah. into different yeah. people. I don't know who you are, where you're going. <laughs> 24 Faces of Wolfie? <laughs> yeah. That would be my Netflix. That's a good title, yeah. That would be my Netflix documentary. <laughs> One day I crack and I go on a murderous spree and I'm like, he was so lovely. <laughs> who was he, though? <laughs> he was yeah. Um, oh well, thank you. I'm, I, that's that's a really nice compliment. Do you think they're okay? The, uh... <laughs> what comparing you to a serial killer? <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe not that part. But you think my accents are, are right, do you? Because they're 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 all a little bit fun. You're no Tom Hardy, <laughs> but you're on your way. I'm on my way. Yeah. Oh well, I'm only in term two, so you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. I'd like to have heard Tom Hardy in term two. Let's see how good he was then. <laughs> oh, I would have liked to have had a bit of. A a bit of Tom Hardy in term two as well. I'd like to have a bit of hard Hardy. Like pretty much most episodes, you're at least two people, if not three. <laughs> Do you know what? I've got a new pet name as well in my relationship. Holy moly. Yeah. yeah okay. I'm now called Chomp. So Josh is called Chimkins and I'm called Chomp and we're like Chimkins and Chomp. I really have gone into another parallel <laughs> universe, haven't I? I don't know if you should put that out. Josh might be really annoyed that I've shared our pet names. You can't see this, listeners, but I've finished my cocktail and I'm scooping the bottom out with my finger and licking it. Again, that's what you were doing the, the other day, <laughs> licking your fingers seductively. And I'm eating the three coffee beans. I think I might have mentioned this on a previous episode about why garnishes come in three. Oh, why is that? Is it lucky? Yeah, yeah, it's an Italian thing. Con la mosca. It means with the fly, and they represent health, wealth, and happiness. With the fly? 
Was the flight. I don't know why that. I don't know. I don't understand that bit, but I understand that health, wealth, and happiness. Bit. Health, wealth, and happiness. Interesting. And then that's why you have the three beans on the espresso martini. Yeah, and that originally comes from serving those as the garnish with, with sambuca, and right. then got transposed to the espresso martini. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Oh God, I've just finished that espresso martini, and I loved it. Oh, that was beautiful. Um, and I'm glad you made mine a bit sweeter. I did enjoy that. I preferred it a bit sweeter. There's no rules to the espresso martini in uh, terms of sweetness. Well, it's, I think there is because I had an espresso martini in giraffe and it was just like syrup. I talked about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, but but yeah, that was lovely. Sorry, because I've, I've, I've drunk it all, I can't stop talking. <laughs> You're caffeined up. <laughs> I really am. So, Paul, have you got any interesting facts about the espresso martini? I've got a few. Oh. So, the espresso martini is one warm shot of espresso an ounce of coffee liqueur and an ounce of vodka. The original one had a little bit of extra sugar. Right. But how much sugar and whether you want to put sugar in it depends on really the coffee liqueur you use. Okay, right. But just because, uh, just to follow on though, yes, you said sorry, that yeah. the, the warm espresso may, makes it frothier. You get a better froth on it. Yeah. If you use like, um, I mean, you can use like cold pressed coffee, but it's not thick enough to make what you want on an espresso martini is that crema, that mm. head, that froth. Yeah, that is. It, it, it makes a nice mouthfeel. And if you don't use at least espresso coffee or some a thick coffee, like you can make a, like a stovetop espresso, that would work. Right. But it won't create that head otherwise and then that and then you drop the beans on top and they'll just sink oh they sink because it hasn't got enough thick it hasn't thick got enough body yeah do you think one of the reasons why that espresso was so nice as well is because we got it from a very I mean the, the coffee at Presuming Ed's is fantastic the, I, I think you know out of all the coffee shops in Brighton it is one of the good ones like do you think that really affects the flavour of the espresso, the quality of the espresso in it? Yeah, I would say that, the, the I mean, it's only a three-ingredient cocktail. I don't think the vodka really matters. I mean, it's a neutral alcohol. Okay. I mean, people will say use the best vodka you can. Well, yeah, ideally you should always use the best things you can, but much more important is the coffee and the coffee liqueur. Oh, okay. What was the liqueur you used? See, my preference is for Bulgetti, which is an Italian espresso coffee liqueur. It's not, it's not expensive, oh, but it's okay. just not very well known over here. Right. But it's really rich. And I always figure, well, who better to make an espresso liqueur than the Italians? Well, yeah, definitely. So you would hope so. That's my favourite coffee liqueur. It's not too sweet. It's got a, like, a little bit of espresso bitterness in there. Yeah. So it's got a really good deep flavour. Well, you kind of want the the bitterness to kind of you know blow the bloody doors off. <laughs> No, you want it just to kind of do that. Sorry, well, I actually premeditated that joke in my head, which is why it wasn't very funny. <laughs> no, I like it because it kind of links to the story of the espresso martini. Oh, really? So the espresso martini has a famous quote attached to it. Oh, yeah. What's that? So created in 1983 at the Soho Brasserie in London oh, right. by Dick Bradsell. And the story that he told about that was that a top model yeah. came in one day and asked him to make her something to wake her up and fuck her up. Oh, really? <laughs> I love it. And that's the quote famously attached to the espresso. Wake martini. her up and fuck her up. Yeah, so there's always been speculation about who that was. I'll tell you who it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't Kate Moss, because okay. she was nine years old in 1983. <laughs> right, right, okay. And it wasn't Naomi Campbell, because she was only 13. 
So, yeah, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? When we think about models, they're, they're the sort of two that people just think of, aren't they? Because they're, they're the most famous. They were the famous British models in the 80s. Yeah, they? yeah, yeah, yeah. So who was it then? He's never told. Right. His thinking was, you know, people come into the bar yeah. to kick back and relax. Right, right. And not to have their secrets spread around. Yeah. Uh, so his bar, was, was it a bit of a Studio 54 type bar? It was a bit of a hit place, the yeah. Soho Brasserie, yeah. I think there is a sort of, there, there's a sort of unwritten rule between people who are genuinely cool. And I think if you're genuinely cool, you don't let secrets like that slip. That's the story behind him creating that cocktail. Oh, and also, so in the Soho Brasserie, when, he, when asked that question, and he's like, oh, okay, what can I make? They used to have a coffee machine behind the bar. And it was like a bit of a pain in the ass because there was always coffee grounds everywhere. Right. But so his mind instantly went to coffee. Right. So essentially, he got a black Russian vodka and coffee liqueur. Right. Added a shot of espresso to it. Right. Shook it up, served it in a V-shaped glass. Right. Because this was the 80s, the age of the Neo Martini. Right, right, of course. Where everyone was putting things in V-shaped glasses and calling them martinis. Right. But originally, he called it a vodka espresso. Right. Changed the name a bit later to espresso martini. Why was that? Because everyone was calling things martinis. Even if, though they were martinis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. If it was in a V-shaped glass, it got called a martini. Right, right. But oh, but right. from, yeah, in the 80s, there's lots of drinks in V-shaped glasses called martinis that have no relationship to a martini. Like, this doesn't have any relationship to a martini. Yeah, I was going to say, where's the martini? It's the glass. It's the glass. That's yeah, so interesting. Yeah, that glass became the martini glass. Right, right. So it's kind of... Yeah, but, but, you know, espresso martini uh, is nice. It's kind of got a ring to it, hasn't it? There's quite a lot of things, What do you think is better name, though? Vodka espresso or espresso martini? Well, vodka espresso is the most literal, so it kind of makes the most sense. But I think espresso martini, I don't know if it's because it's synonymous with it, but I think it's a better name. Because you Mm. start with the espresso, and the espresso is the thing that you think about when you order one. That's the main component that I think of. I think I want a coffee... Mm. cocktail but it's the fact that it wakes me up so if I'm if I'm flagging and I've just eaten it's a really good one to have after dinner isn't it after you've gone out for a nice meal you're sort of a bit food heavy from the nice food so you have an espresso martini to either perk yourself up or you have at the beginning of the meal to perk yourself up so you can be Mm. a bit jazzy for the table do you know what I mean? So the yeah. conv- and it helps the conversation flow out. It yeah. helps, you know. I do feel like you know for social things, you know, this is why we have stimulants, isn't it? This is why we have an espresso martini, so that you know we can wake up and get fucked up at the same time, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that's why people, you know, go out and take you know all sorts of substances, don't they, to pep themselves up for social engagements. Linking to that. Oh, does it link? Wow. It, it links to the point I'm about to tell you next. I feel like I'm in Limitless. Yeah, go on. Because this cocktail has had three versions of it. He's created three versions of it. Right. So the original, vodka espresso. Yeah. Second one, espresso martini. That's the one that became famous. And I think the name, like you say, had a lot to do with that. And then the third iteration, Dick Pradsell went on to work at Pharmacy, which was Damien Hurst's restaurant. Right. And he called it the pharmaceutical stimulant. Oh, right. And he served it on the rocks instead of straight up and in a martini glass. Right. The pharmaceutical stimulant doesn't sound like an appealing drink. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's something really like, um, I don't know, it just makes me think of like injecting Viagra or something. I don't know. It doesn't really sort of sell it to me. Yeah, no. No. I'm curious. How do you feel about Damien Hurst? 
He's an interesting one. You know, yeah, part of the, the YBA, isn't it? Young British artists, probably the most famous of them all, really. I think, you know, in comparing him to other artists of that decade, I think he is a cut above. Something that I think actually, two good points about him, is that, you know, he's a little bit like the modern day uh, Duchamp, really. And a lot of his artwork is kind of based on that fact. Because, so Duchamp was born in 1887 and he died in 1968. And he, one of his most famous pieces was, Is This a Pipe? where he does a drawing of a pipe and writes, Is This a Pipe? Well, this is not a pipe, I think the work is, because it's a painting of a pipe. But then, so what is it? Is it is it a pipe or is it a painting of a pipe? And then it goes into the psychology of what art is. And that was why it was so fundamentally important for the evolution of art. If you think about the context of the time, art and paintings were very sort of um, confounded in... In, in, a, in an idea of what they were. They were sort of representational or they... So this whole generation of new art, new ways of thinking of what art could be, was fundamentally quite explosive and quite rebellious and really yeah. quite quite conceptual. Yeah. And so, then you take it to Damien Hirst, which is in this other iteration of that exploding again in the 90s and the yeah. 80s. And I think, you know, um, one of his most famous pieces, which is... The shark, which is the impossibility of death in the mind of someone living. I mean, I, I, I saw it and it was really, really impressive. Mm. You know, a tiger shark in formaldehyde suspended there. Something very haunting about it. And just to see the uh, the amazingness of a tiger shark as well. Just like, wow. This like, is ticking your shark box. It's ticking my shark box, man. And, <laughs> and you know, just like the, the title as well, The Impossibility of Death in the Mind of Someone Living. You know, because I think sharks, you know, are archetypal what we think of when we think of death. The beast, the predator that kills us. There's something quite haunting about the way they look. There's something very prehistoric about them because they are you know, from a prehistoric time. But what was interesting is I read an article about it and the shark has become a representation of Damien Hirst's art in itself. Oh, because it's decayed. It's decaying in the formaldehyde. It's sagging. Well, I think that's a pretty good metaphor for Damien Hirst's art career. Well, precisely. Is that what you're saying? That's what, yeah. It was saying that it's kind of lost its potency Mm. and it's actually quite tired. Yeah. And it's quite sagging and actually the kind of the the veil of what made it so exciting has kind of the sun has set on it. Mm. And I don't think that Damien Hirst has the same relevance that he has nowadays. Mm. But his work still sells for for a lot of a lot of money. I also think there is mm. there is elements of Damien Hirst being a bit of a charlatan. But then I think a lot of artists are who are, who are clever because during the the YBA movement there was this idea of trying to get like working class artists and kind of working class culture and pick out these kind of diamonds in the rough and elevate them to superstar status. And I think Damien Hirst was quite wise to this. So he kind of branded himself very early on that he was, you know, on the wrong sides of the tracks, but he wasn't. Do you know what I mean? And he did make some very sort of bold moves when he was young as well, like, you know, with his exhibitions. Being an artist myself, I I appreciate those bold moves. And I also appreciate the idea that you do have to kind of fabricate a little bit about yourself to kind of sell yourself. Yeah. You know, a lot about art is, is about perceived value and you have to kind of almost create that perceived value yourself you know we all like to think that is the value of our artwork is the thing that sells it but actually often it's the story attached to it that sells it especially yeah. when you're in a gallery set, oh, setting definitely, do you yeah. know what I mean that's my kind of 
rundown. What's your what's your opinion of him? I agree with everything you said from an art perspective. Right. I can't help but also appraise him from a human being perspective. I don't really know much about him as a human being. I don't yeah, really know okay. his art. No, it's fair enough. I, and I only know what I've read. Right. But I don't know. I, I, he's a bit too pretentious for me. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the 90s artists were very pretentious. A decrepit shark. That's what I think Damien Hirst is. I think a shark in that sense of someone who's a bit cutthroat. Yes. Someone's a bit mercenary. Yeah, yeah. Out for themselves. Yeah. I think you I have to be, though, to get that famous. But he's also done some really dick moves in later life when he really didn't need to. It's nothing related to his art. That I find objectable, other, right. other than, than some of his boring, the spot paintings, where he's not, you know, he's just come up with the idea and it's the assistants who've created them. I knew one of the assistants, actually, on, on the butterflies. Yeah, they said, oh, the that butterflies. Work, said that working for him was, was well paid. Yeah. I don't know if it was necessarily enjoyable. I never got the feeling that they enjoyed it. But then that's also another interesting idea, isn't it? Artists who pay other people to make it for them. They come up with the idea and then they pay other people to make it for them. I find that quite an interesting concept as well. You know, because then it's like the name. It's just the name that makes has the, the quality of value, isn't it? Well, there's an interesting anecdote about that. That he said himself that when he made the spot paintings himself, they were rubbish. Right. He was rubbish at it. But there was there was one one of his assistants was like exceptionally good. Right. And she was the best at them. Right. And that when she left, she asked if she could take one. And he said, well, make one yourself. Right. And she went, well, I'd rather have one of yours. But he wouldn't give her one of right. his. Even though she had made it. Yeah. But, but she, because she knows probably that if she had one of his, with his signature on it, it would be worth... Yeah, of course. It'd be worth so much money. Yeah. And, and that's the interesting kind of dichotomy of the art world. But... He's my my issue with that one that he's acknowledged that she's the best at making them. Yeah, they both know very well that his is of value, whereas yeah. hers isn't. Yeah, but he's Britain's wealthiest living artist. Yeah, he can fucking afford it. Right, right. Give this artist who made because yeah. she made them better. Yeah, she made lots of money for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give yeah. her a fraction of that back. But it's kind of you know like working. It's just mean. I just think it's mean. You just think out of being nice, he should have done that. Yeah. Interesting. He's acknowledged that she does it better than him. You can afford it. You're not poor. (laughs) I know, but that's how he's got that that big, isn't it? By being that... I I just think it just... I think that displays a meanness of spirit. But often the richest people are often the meanest. That doesn't mean it's okay, though. I don't... No, it doesn't, but it is a sort of character trait. Yeah. That often, like, some of the richest people, like Getty, like, you know, he was the richest man on the planet, and he had a payphone in his house, so that if you made calls, you had to pay for it yourself. (laughs) He was the richest man on the planet. Right. He owned all the oil companies, and he had a payphone in his house. That's tight, isn't it? That is as tight as anything. Yeah, yeah. I think the more you have, the meaner you become. I can, yeah, and I can totally accept that with 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 business it's like i expect that with business i don't know why but i expect better of artists and i don't think i should no because art is just a business in itself yeah and and i think that's one of the reasons i i I don't like damien hurst very much because it feels like he was 50 percent artist 50 percent businessman but i think i think actually a lot of the best artists are 
they are they have a really good business savviness about them and if they don't they either die poor or a gallery goes well I can make a lot of money from this artist yeah you know, yeah, I, I don't know what it is that there's something I, I almost just want you to go. Yeah, he was a fucking arsehole, and I went, yeah, yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, what me? You wanted yeah. me to be like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just want someone to agree with me. No, no the thing is, I, I think as I do, I, I can't I, say I, this stuff. That's probably fucking. He, he's the kind of man who would sue me for that. <laughs> slander. But you're allowed to have your opinion on him, um, and like, you're allowed to say. I'm that. probably going to cut that out because I'm, I'm scared of him. No. He sued a 16-year-old. He threatened a 16-year-old. Did he? Yeah. Oh, you see, I don't know any of this. Why, what was the 16-year-old friend with? You know his diamond skull? Yeah. There was a 16-year-old graffiti artist yeah. who, who used that in an image that he made, like a collage. Right. And somehow Damien Hurst got wind of that and sent him a cease and desist. Wow. And that 16-year-old, you know, got fucking serious lawyers contact him and he went... Oh, okay. Well, I, okay. I'll stop immediately. Yeah. And he gave back the two hundred pounds he had made from selling these prints. Oh my god! Oh my god! Sixteen. Oh fucking He'd hell! He made two hundred quid off Jesus. it. Jesus! It was you know a decent collage. It was. Yeah. Oh, it just it's just like it's meanness again. That's the payphone. Really, yeah. That's the payphone, isn't it? It really is. It's the sort of Scrooge McDuck, isn't it? Yeah. It's the kind of like Scrooge, <laughs> Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just I, and it really saddens me because also you're destroying a young artist's kind of burgeoning um, creativity as well you're sort of destroying you're, you're, you're crushing their 200 quid to a 16 year old making that yourself is a really big is a really big deal yeah. and I think actually that should be like you know you should find that out and then be like uh, alright give me the 200 pound back here's your cease and desist but also have a summer internship with me do you know right. what I mean right. you know that's what I would do yeah. I'd be like look okay that isn't cool to appropriate my imagery like that but I like what you're doing so come and have an internship with me and we'll get your art banging <laughs> I don't think I would say that I don't I don't talk like that listeners <laughs> god I'm, this is what an espresso martini does to me man it makes me Plato dog Plato dog <laughs> yeah oh sorry that's another nickname Josh because holy fuck another one because <laughs> I'm blueberry eyes in the night and I'm thinking of all the uh, <laughs> what so, blueberry eyes yeah he says like my big blue, blue, blue blueberry eyes and then he sees me like blueberry eyes into the night being all Plato dog that's what he says when I can't stop thinking about things and I, yeah, and I right. go all f- philosophical Plato dog <laughs> <laughs> deputy dog <laughs> is that going to be our interval <laughs> So we were talking at the beginning of the episode about is it a London or an Italian cocktail? I've always wondered, like, why is coffee in Italy so synonymous with their culture? Yeah. Do you know why? I do know why. But I was wondering the same thing, so so I looked it up. Yeah, because that has actually popped into my head, because we often think of coffee and and Italian and and espresso particularly is an Italian thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the simple answer to that. So coffee originates in Africa. Right. Ethiopia. Right. I tell you what, I didn't. Is that where coffee originates? Is that that like, because it's grown all over the world now, but that's where it started. Coffee started in Ethiopia. Right. I learnt that. I find this quite interesting about things that you kind of just take for granted. Coffee's made from coffee beans. 
And he was like, well, where do they come from? This, I'm sounding, like, from the I'm sounding like you here. What do you mean? What's that what I sound like? <laughs> he said, oh, well, Paul, what's that about? What's, what, where do coffee beans? What, are they, what do they want then? Yeah, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I've had too I like much impressions espresso. of me. <laughs> I've had a few impressions of me recently. I quite like it. I quite like to see how people see me. Like, I'm all like, when I when you do me, I'm all like, um, like little Pippin from like something. Oh, oh, and I go all a little bit like, oh, Paul, tell me more about that story, Paul, and when my arms don't go jaunty. And... <laughs> so, yeah, they come from the coffee plant, right? They do. But, yeah. But how do you envisage a coffee plant? Well, imagine it a bit like um, a grape, like a vine, like a like a, a wine plant. Like a wine plant, like a vineyard. <laughs> a wine plant. And like instead of grapes, they're like beans. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, they're more like grapes. Oh, right, right. Yes, they are. And then they dry up, don't they? So they're, they're called cherries. They're cher- oh, they're like cherries. And then they dry them And they're called beans. cherries, yeah. And they take... And the seeds in... Oh, it's the seeds. God, they're fat old seeds, aren't they? Yeah. And so, you know, like, why coffee beans have, like, the flat half? Yeah. Because they're... I'm sure you can see this in other fruits. So, they're, they're together. In, inside the cherry, oh, inside I a see. coffee cherry, which I think they are red. So, they're like two testicles. They're like two halves of... Right. The seed. And right. then they take those out. Right. And then they dry them and roast them. What do they do with the cherries? They just throw that away. Why? Are I, they tasty? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure that... I, I imagine I would have read that they do something with it and it's edible if it was edible, but it doesn't seem to be. They just right. throw that away. They throw the cherry away and take the seeds and that becomes coffee beans. Coffee is discovered in Ethiopia. Right. And the story is that it's discovered by a goat herder who notices his goats being particularly active after they eat these plants. Oh, right. And so, oh, right. I'm going to check out these plants that my goats are eating. Right. And that's how a coffee was discovered. Right, interesting. So, they start using it. Very plausible. It. Yeah. So, they start using it in Ethiopia. Then, this is the 16th century. Right. So, in the 16th century, Ethiopia, Africa is like then trading with the Middle East. And then coffee makes its way to the Middle East. Right. And it's used as a stimulant. And it's particularly used, you know, the Sufi religion. Right. So, like, Islamic mysticism. Yeah. And they would use coffee as a stimulant to keep awake during their religious ceremonies. Oh, right. Okay. Why are there religious ceremonies at that point? I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somehow, yeah. I imagine they're kind of long. Like, 30-hour. Yeah. Prayer. From there, Middle East, they start trading with Venice. Well, right. actually, from Yemen, it goes to Turkey and India. And then the end of the 15th century, Venice is like a huge trading port. Oh. And that's how it gets into Europe. It starts in Venice and then it spreads through Italy and into the rest of Europe. Little story here. So in 1600, Pope Clement VIII, he was asked to publicly denounce coffee. Right. Because it was associated with Islam. Right. And he thought, well... Just to give a fair verdict, I'll try some. And his famous quote is, maybe you should do it, actually. Yeah, give us your best. Pope Clement VIII. Aha! This Satan's drink was so delicious, it would be a pity to let the infidels have exclusive use of it. I, I imagine that's exactly how it's... <laughs> 
So Pope Clement gave it his seal of approval and then over time it caught on. And in 1720, the oldest coffee house in the world was established, Café Florian in Venice. But so that, and that's the oldest coffee shop in the world, is it? Yeah, 1720. Wow. And it's God, still is, there. Wow. God, it's that is there. old, isn't it? So that's why we, we think of coffee being synonymous with Italian culture is because they were the first in Europe to adopt it and to kind of give it to give it some kind of seal of approval because it's quite interesting when you think back to the context of the times you know the infidels oh my god like Satan's drink all this yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. such heavy like fear of other cultures uh, and yeah, fear yeah. of being invaded and taken over by other cultures and almost yeah. the kind of like because I mean you know to be fair back then lots of cultures did invade and take over yeah. and, you know the, that fear was a physical threat wasn't it often and also like you know they often also invaded other people you know everyone was invading each other really weren't they yeah and also I guess with the Italians inventing espresso as well let me get to that oh okay so for quite a long time for the next couple of hundred years although coffee is being consumed in Italy the way it's made is the Turkish style. Right. You How's know, that? We, we, you're heating it up with sugar and spices. Oh, right. Okay. What we think of as Italian coffee, that actually didn't come about till the late 19th century. 1884 right. was the very first espresso machine. And basically that came about because making Turkish coffee actually takes time. Right. Like it takes five minutes to make a cup of coffee. Right. The Turkish style. Right. And so inventors of the time were like, how can we speed this up? Oh, interesting. So 1884 was the first time they created a device that used pressure to push water through the coffee to make a proto-espresso. Right. Is that how espresso is made? Is that how like the barista coffee machines work? Because I didn't even know how a barista coffee machine works. But. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pushing, using pressure to push water through oh. coffee grounds. And that's why they're quite dangerous, actually, I guess, uh, barista machines. So pretty much for the next 60 years or so, different inventors were coming up with ways to improve this espresso machine. Of course, machine. yeah. It's actually not until 1961 that a guy called Ernesto Valente created an espresso machine that we would recognise as like the espresso machines today. That's like the most Italian name, Ernesto Valente. It is, isn't it? <laughs> but I was, I was surprised it's that recent. So really, the modern espresso wasn't invented until 1960s. That, that kind of makes sense, though, because I, when I think of espresso, I think of the 60s. Do you think of the 60s? Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I thought it was maybe older than that. And, it, and in a way, it was, because they were trying to do that since the late 19th century. The thing is, I've never gotten into espresso. I mean, the whole idea of espresso is that you have a coffee very quickly, isn't it? I mean, I actually, I really like the taste of an espresso. It's not that I dislike the taste, but for me, going and have a coffee is about having the time out and actually having the time, the time to drink it, the time to enjoy it. Mm. Whereas, you know, the espresso, like I know you're supposed to sip it, but um, it's just too small. It's too short for me. There's two different things, isn't there? You've got the coffee drinking culture that, that mirrors the Turkish coffee drinking culture. You know, it takes five minutes to make the cup of coffee and then you're yeah. sitting here sipping it and chatting. Yeah. And then that's kind of adopted into Italy. Yeah. But then they really get into the idea of short, strong and zippy yeah. coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you can make in seconds, drink in seconds, 
So there's these two different types of coffee culture, it seems. But the thing is, like, coffee has a practical application, doesn't it? I mean, you know, you know, some yes. people won't function without their eight coffees a day. You know, someone said to me, I think it was my mother, actually, she said, oh, don't get into drinking coffee because you will become addicted to it and suddenly you'll need your four coffees a day or whatever to keep you going. Another little thing that I learned about Italian espresso culture mm. because it's such a short drink and people are drinking it on the fly there's not a lot of room for espresso cafes to make a profit right so like where do they make the profit from and the only place you can make that profit is by getting cheaper beans right so that's led to the Italian culture of espressos being quite bitter because bitterness comes with the cheaper beans oh interesting but that's become ingrained in Italian culture that that's what they now think espresso is it's right. very bitter right but actually historically that comes from just having cheap beans and then that's why like and then oh the the, the more bitter the better yeah and but, that's not true actually that's not the not opposite true. is yeah. true you know it's like we talked about champagne how champagne's the best champagne in the world well, it's the, well technically it's the only champagne in the world because anything <laughs> else is just sparkling wine and yeah. actually Jack like Jack Daniels we talked about yeah that, like Jack we? Daniels yeah. yeah it's the only one of one yeah. like um, there's actually nicer sparkling white wines out there yeah, yeah. but but because champagne has that kudos, we, um, we assume that it's the best. But and what, it's, yeah, it's not. Yeah, and what you're culturally used to. You know, have you ever seen them do the kind of like chocolate taste tests with people from oh, different yeah. countries? Yeah, yeah. Know? Because American chocolate is made in a particular way. Yeah. Americans like that more than other types of chocolate. Have we talked about Hershey's on on here? So there's... there's Because I remember first tasting Hershey's when I was in New York and I bought a load of it and took it brought it back and um, I was really like strangely disappointed with Hershey's chocolate because it tasted weird there was a weird sort of taste in it and it's something to do I've, I've only later found this out that it's something to do because America's so big I think you had told me this fact America's so big that it takes time to transport the dairy from, from place to place so they put like uh, an artificial preservative into it. But that preservative has the same esters as sick. And that's why it tastes a little bit like sick. At least that bit is right. I don't I don't remember the transport bit, but yes. I think the transport bit is something that I've picked up on. Right. In my, in my knowledge. Yes. And then, so I remember thinking like, this chocolate tastes weird. But to Americans, they're like, no, this is what chocolate tastes yeah, like. Exactly. It's what you've yeah. grown up with. Yeah, yeah chocolate please nah, ah, they're gonna come and get me yeah it's but but for Brits Cadbury's is everything isn't it yeah I don't particularly like it personally but do you not my favourite chocolate is Belgian chocolate ah. I love Swiss and Belgian chocolate the best I mean I'm I'm a big fan of all chocolate really you know like at Christmas uh, one of my favourite things to do and Josh really shouldn't know this but uh, I'm sorry Josh in advance but you know the lint chocolate balls yeah, and you get the the white chocolate, dark chocolate, milk chocolate, yeah. and nutty chocolate. Uh, when no one's looking, I like to get three of those: the dark milk and the white, and put right. them all in together and eat them at once. I thought you were going to say something so much worse than that. Oh, well, like what? I don't know. I was worried. <laughs> what? Dangle them on my face I and don't... pretend they're testicles. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that's all it is. That's all I'm saying. Oh, so originally you were asking about. 
South American coffee. Yeah. So there is a little story there, actually. That So someone actually had to take plants, coffee plants, to South America. <laughs> I can't imagine they just flew there. <laughs> In the story that I read, there was no explanation why, but they had to be smuggled. Oh, right. And so the story was that the first coffee plants were introduced in South America by someone sticking coffee beans to their chest. Wow. To smuggle them from the Middle East to South America. Bloody hell, that's a long way to to have beans stuck to you, isn't it? That was in early 1700s. Wow, okay. And now 45% of the world's coffee is Brazilian. They had sellotape in the 1700s. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did they really? Yeah. No, they can't because plastic wasn't invented. No, the infidels created sellotape. <laughs> I was really happy then for a second. <laughs> well, really? Scotch tape in the 1700s. Yeah. Scotch tape is the oldest tape in the world. But, God, it's a long way to go with beans stuck to you, isn't it? And, and why smuggle them? Is, it, is Were they banned? I know. I don't know. Because no one would have known what they were in South America. Yeah, if anyone knows why why they had to be smuggled into South America, please let us know. That part of the story is not clear. It's weird. I'm just trying to think of... I'm just keep on thinking of Midnight Express now. Yeah. Is that what you're thinking yeah. of as well? With coffee beans. <laughs> With the coffee beans instead of hash. Six coffee beans. Six coffee <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, did we tell about the six coffee beans? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. We're just tripping at this well, point. I feel, really feel so like I am. Caffeine, I feel yeah. like, you know, like when you're late night uh, and on a bender and you're like, yeah, oh, God, yeah, tell me about that. Oh, yeah, I really yeah. want a cigarette. I don't really smoke, but there's times where I feel really wild and I just want a cigarette. Oh, and I also want um, a chart of lots of businessy stuff. <laughs> Sorry. Like what? business projections. Oh, and I want okay. like a briefcase and a suit and a flip chart. <laughs> and I want to be like talking about yearly projections and how we're going to smash it <laughs> with cigarettes. <laughs> and I want a pen in my top pocket. Because <laughs> I, I have to make it happen, Dan. Make it happen. I thought one shot of espresso around eight o'clock, that'll be fine. It'll worn off in a couple of hours. No. It feels like I'm still coming up. Yeah. And actually, well, the thing is, coffee, I found out, has a half-life of 12 hours. No, it's a half-life of six hours, I think. Okay, half-life of six hours. Yeah. So, so, it's, so six it's, hours later, half of it's gone. Yeah, that's why I can't sleep at midnight if I've had a coffee at three in the afternoon, okay. because it's fully gone after 12 hours. That's yeah. it. So it has a half-life How of many six hours. hours. <laughs> so is that all the facts? <laughs> That's what I feel like. I really want to go raving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Should we just have a rave here just to get it out of our system? <laughs> I don't think it would help. We still want more, more something. Just, like that, just more of something. Yeah. More. Just. <laughs> I feel like I'm in train spotting. I had a feeling this might be a mistake. It's only what? a mistake because I've got to get up tomorrow morning. Oh, shit, yeah. That's the only reason it's a mistake. Yeah, yeah. It's a great cocktail. Well, the thing is, for me, it's quite weird because I've just had 19 hours of sleep. Yeah, we're at we're opposite ends of that sort of sleep spectrum. <laughs> and the reason why I've had... By the way, the reason... Have I talked about why I've had 19 hours of sleep? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. You keep forgetting what you've said. <laughs> 
It's like that sort of drug thing, isn't it? Where it's like, oh man, oh, I absolutely love these wine gums. Have I told you that? It's like, yes, you've been telling me that for like the last four well, this hours. Is what, this is what that guy has in the 24 Faces thing. He has just periods where he just blacks out. Blacks out. Yeah, but that's what you're doing this evening. <laughs> oh yeah, well, you're, that's, you're, you're on to me. Hey, speaking of your different personalities... Where's Princess Strider this evening? Well, darling, here I am. Welcome to Who Wants to Be a Cocktail. So, tonight, on Who Wants to Be a Cocktail, our contestant, we have Paul. Hi, Paul. Where are you from? What's your name? (laughs) What do you do? What brought you here tonight, Paul? I don't think I've ever been so scared of Princess Striders this evening. Oh, why is that, darling? I don't know. I'm just on edge. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I have no murderous intentions. I've just got all good intentions, you darling. Just, just love in your heart. I've got love all over the place. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's in my heart, darling. <laughs> so, keeping up with the theme of tonight's show, which is the 80s. <laughs> I don't think there's been a theme at all. <laughs> Not really, but... but okay. you, well, the cocktail was invented it in was the invented 80s. It was invented in the 80s, yeah. It, actually, you think about it, it's a pretty 80s cocktail, isn't it? It well, is. I feel pretty 80s at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, darling, why well, don't... I feel like I should be wearing a shell suit. Well, if you get this question right, maybe you can buy yourself one, because that's the prize, <laughs> the permission to buy <laughs> to, yourself To prime, like, accept cocktail points. <laughs> <laughs> So, the artist of this week's Who Wants to Be a Cocktail? First, you need pineapple ice cubes by making them with pineapple juice. Okay. Then you need two ounces of VSOP brandy, half an ounce of Goldschlager, half an ounce of fresh lime juice, two dashes of Angosta bitters, gold sugar for the rim. So already this cocktail is sounding incredibly expensive and gold and delicious. I've got to say, it already puts me in mind of a particular artist. Well, a a, a couple of people, actually. Oh, interesting. But hang on, you said the theme is 80s. It is. Okay, one of the artists I'm thinking of is 80s. Anyway. So this is a very famous artist from the 80s. Mm. And the cryptic clues are, are you ready? Cryptic clue number one. Am I infant terrible or shameless charlatan? Well, I can be both. From the stock markets of New York, I transformed the yappy puppy into yappy art. Cryptic clue number two. My giant blow-up dolls of sexual appetite fueled my addiction and I forever blew golden bubbles. Am I as vacuous as a vacuum and as infinite as the stars in a diamond? Cryptic clue number three. From working the desk of the Museum of Modern Art, a decade later I was moving their desk to make room for my giant sculptures of sexual obsession, shameless spending, rubbery ballooned goddesses, and glinting gold and shimmering silver. What artist is this cocktail named after? Listeners out there, take those cryptic clues, and if you can guess it, email in to nogarnish at fastmail.fm or send us a comment or direct message on Instagram at NoGarnishPod. And if you win, you will get 10,000 cocktail points. So, um, the last week's episode, the cryptic clues were, I'm dandy and handy, a pop kaleidoscope of red, white and blue. I canned art and turned it into silver. 
I realised TV before it became the reality. Andy Warhol. Oh, amazing. You were so good at it. Um, you actually got it right before I'd even <laughs> told you, you any was, of the questions. I know. That was my David Bowie impression. Did you like that? Dave? Oh, yeah. No, I don't Andy know. Warhol. <laughs> It's like it's like David Bowie in a retirement home. <laughs> that is exactly what I was aiming for. Yes, you're not the only one who can act. <laughs> yeah. No, I love I love your acting. It's um, it's it's great. <laughs> I, on my acting course, I said um, I said to the director, like, am I acting too over the top, or or should I bring it back? And he said, when you start acting, I'll let you know. <laughs> I was like, oh, darling, oh. Very, oh, you're wow. right on there, aren't you? Um, yeah, so that was the Andy Warhol. Yeah. So that was the Andy Warhol. And, you know, the cryptic clues, I am Dandy. Well, Handy Andy. Uh, handy Dandy. Handy Andy. <laughs> <laughs> but I am I am Dandy. So sorry. I am Dandy. The And uh, the Dandy Warhols. Yes. Yeah. And Handy. Handy Andy. Yes. Uh, from uh, Changing Rooms. Changing Rooms, yeah. Uh, a pop kaleidoscope of red, white and blue. Well, he's American. Yeah. Um, I canned art and turned it into silver. So obviously, famously, he did the canned Campbell soup art. Yes. Turned it into silver, the silver factory. Right. And then I realized TV before it became the reality. Well, he's famously sort of coined as being the first reality TV maker because at the silver factory, he did a lot of films and... You know, those films were really kind of the foundation of reality TV. He was filming Mm. sort of ordinary people in his studio. He would apply them with lots of drugs and just see what happened, which is pretty much what Big Brother does. And pretty much what his podcast's like. <laughs> Except with cocktails of. instead of drugs. Instead of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he, of course, uh, in the future, everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. Yes, of course, yeah. And he said that, and he yeah. kind of knew that. He didn't, what he didn't realise is that everyone in, in contextually now is famous for 15 seconds. Yeah. That's really how fast, isn't it, with yeah. with uh, TikTok and all that sort of stuff. Before we exit, feedback. Have we had feedback. Any, anything? Yeah, so we've had our first Ofcom complaint. What? Yeah, we've had our first complaint. Ollie. Ollie complained on two accounts. Who's Ollie? Who, Ollie is one of our listeners. He's very angry with us. He was absolutely fuming. I mean, the the... The violence in his message. I don't know. Death threats. You know, he was going to, because he knows where I live, he's going to come around and just stare at me from the street. <laughs> Joining the other people who stand outside your house just staring at you. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm totally overblowing it, obviously. No, he, he sent me a message in saying that he w- was hating the fact that I was being so down on Twin Peaks. Yeah, Ollie, thank you. I always think that's an interesting thing, isn't it? How Mm. other people's opinions can sometimes affect our enjoyment. And then the other thing was, he was like, God, you're spoilers. He said you should have put a spoiler alert on because you spoiled uh, Twin Peaks for him. You said, but you talked about the ending. No, I didn't. Didn't you talk about Bob? Yeah, about what Bob is, where it comes from. Yeah. That's not the ending. Is it not? It's the ending of the first series, but that aired 35 years ago. Well, that's what I said to him. I said, well, it was. it is like 30 years old. And he said, well, the latest series came out in 2017. Uh, well, it's interesting, though, because he did say, like, he was only joking about being annoyed. You, you just know. got wound me up. Um, I just purposely wound you up, yeah. Uh, but he did say at the end, like, he was, he was kind of joking. He's not that annoyed. But I did say to him, 
that I quite like the fact that he was outraged. So I quite like to like play it as him being outraged. Because right. that's what people do nowadays. They get so outraged that yeah. they phone into Ofcom, don't they? And also, like, when people get outraged on the internet now, they send death threats, don't they? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's all kind of ridiculous. But it is quite interesting, the whole spoiler thing, because do we, do we now with the internet, every time we talk about something that happens in something, do we have to say, oh, by the way, spoiler alert, just in case it ruins someone's enjoyment of it? It's very, it's a very difficult thing, isn't it? What is the cutoff where you don't have to give a spoiler disclaimer? Because you're right, something from 35 years ago, so if you're discussing it, it's like, well, yeah, you might have never seen it, but what would you say the cutoff is? Because I would say three years. Anything that's been made after three years is open or five years is open game. I would say five uh, years. Yeah, five. Open. I was thinking five. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Interesting point. I'll tell you what. Let's be a bit more thoughtful and conscientious. Well, yeah. And I think actually, you know, being conscientious of our listeners is is a nice thing to, to do. Um, but what also something that I don't want to do though, too much is I don't want to sort of censor myself too much as well. You know, it's no. quite hard, isn't it? It's quite hard nowadays because everyone's so terrified of offending people. I tell you what, let's um, let's record a spoiler alert now. Yeah. We'll do it now. And then yeah. when it gets edited, if I know there's a spoiler alert, I'll drop in your spoiler I alert. I want my spoiler alert. Yeah. Do not adjust your headset. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Amazing. You see, this is how a professional <laughs> actor works. <laughs> One take. <laughs> One take. One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, I had a message from, in fact, from my ex-wife who said she was most upset by <laughs> by the exploding dog. Oh, really? Oh, shit, you really? can't please everyone. <laughs> no, right, right. That's why I loved it. Like, there is a sort of weird pathos in it as well, isn't there? I think prefacing that little anecdote with my ex-wife makes it sound worse. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Oh, my ex-husband. Ah, oh, my third ex-husband. Oh, my God, you know. He used to talk and talk and talk all day long. Ah, oh, but my fourth husband. Oh, my God. I mean, he just, you know, he just didn't talk enough. <laughs> come to the end of the episode. Oh, I'm always a bit sad when we come to the I end. I know, I know. <laughs> I don't think the listeners are, though. <laughs> like, oh, at last. At last, they finished. <laughs> yeah, so all that we've got left to do, roll the dice, see what we're drinking next Ooh, week. Ooh, I love this bit. Roll them. Ooh, this is number eight. Number eight is the Tokyo Station. Oh, wow. Pretty obscure. Yeah. It's the signature cocktail for the Tokyo Station Hotel. Oh, is that where um, uh, Lost in Translation was filmed? I don't think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was in Tokyo, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm quite excited about that. As I yawn. <laughs> yeah, do you want to say that again? Oh, I'm quite excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm quite excited about that. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for the uh, cocktails, Paul. Um, I've absolutely loved them to bits. You say goodbye in Cockney and I'll say goodbye in Italian. <laughs> goodbye in Cockney? Yeah. What would you say? Cheerio, mate, wonky donkey. <laughs> Ciao, bella. Cheers. What's wrong with you tonight? <laughs> Fucking espresso. <laughs> Do not adjust your TV. This is a spoiler alert. That's the one. 
<laughs> but why are they you, on TV? You, you, you see, that's how a professional actor works. <laughs> One take, nailed it. But they're not on TV. <laughs> We're not on TV. Okay, you didn't quite nail it. <laughs> I, I was, yeah, okay, you didn't, you didn't quite nail it. Do you want to do it again? Yeah, okay. Have you got a, some, a stick of some kind? Yeah. Give me a stick. That'll do. Paint that fence! Fax the floor! Fucking hell. Shh.